I get no kick from champagne. It's the Review A New Podcast. What's going on, y'all? I'm your host, DJ. And with me today is my very special guest, Danny. Yo, tell them who you are. Tell the lovely people who you are, what you do, and where the people can find your stuff at. Uh, hello. Uh, my name is Danny Roth. I am the co-host of a podcast called Song vs. Song, where we take two songs that are of a similar uh, type, a similar era, and uh, argue the merits of each one, decide for once and for all which one is the best one. I do that with uh, this guy, uh, Todd in the Shadows. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of him who listens to your podcast. He's a real unknown, yeah. that guy. Yeah, some internet guy. Some, some guy out there. Some internet rando out there. You know? I, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't do a podcast with Anthony Fantano, so I settled on this, this, t- mm. this type oh, of guy. Oh, wow. You really just let it be known. You're like, yeah, that's my. this was my uh, B-tier guy to go to. You know, I, I guess I'll settle for Todd. Like, wow. I, I see now. Uh- <laughs> it's time that the truth be known. Everybody always thinks that I'm the hanger-on, but no, no, no. Mm-hmm. That's right. I'm the I'm the secret power behind the podcast on trip. Anyway, uh, uh, yep. <laughs> Here we are. We're going to talk about it. That's movie. right. This is the podcast where we go through the filmographies of our favorite movie makers and talk about their works through a modern lens. And today we're looking at the classic, fucking untouchable Blazing Saddles on uh, this wing of the podcast where we're going through Mel Brooks's movies. Uh, we just looked at Twelve Chairs last time, uh, and you can uh, go to the Patreon where you can see that episode. Um, but yeah, this one is, oh my God, like, again, the last one is like, you know, not that many people know that one, so it's kind of like going through and seeing like, hmm, what value is there of this? But with this one, it's like, I, what, you know what's up, like, you know this is a classic, you know this is awesome, you know this is fucking untouchable. Like, I, in fact, I'm, re- I'm remembering now, um, I remember I, uh, was watching this movie with, like, Todd and, like, Lindsay Ellis and, like, a whole bunch of the, those cats, like... And I remember I hadn't seen it in a really long time. It was like one of those instances where like, you know when you watch a movie when you're a kid and like you get it, but you don't like get it. (laughs) And then I was watching it with them and I like was having that moment of like really realizing what all of these jokes like really meant. And so I was just laughing so goddamn hard that I was just like going like, I'm so sorry guys. I know you guys like know this already, but this is just so fucking funny. Like I'm finally getting this and I can't, like it was like involuntary that I just kept laughing. I was just like, oh my God. Like I, I think I have to leave because I can't stop laughing at this shit. How old were you saw this movie for the first time? I'm kind of curious where it falls in the pantheon for you because everybody finds Mel Brooks in their own way and you are a little bit younger than most of the people we know. Well, see, yeah, yeah. See, I'm younger, but I grew up on Mel Brooks movies because my mom watched Mel Brooks movies all the time. So I had seen all of them and I knew them, but like, I like it was like watching it a lot when you're younger. It's like the Simpsons sort of thing, you know? It's like I watched that a lot when I was younger, but then coming back to it and being like, oh, that's what that was about. Oh, that's what that was about. You know what I mean? Like having that moment where things are just like kicking into so high gear because it's like you remember what they were, but now the full context of it is just like fleshed into it. And now you're having that realization and like just laughing in front of people. And you know, like when you try to not laugh, that just makes you want to laugh more. I'd seen it so much. And so, you know, it's a classic. So there's no point in watching it because yeah, like we quoted that around the house all the goddamn time. You know what I'm saying? And then it was just like having that moment of, oh my God, this is the goddamn funniest thing ever. Uh, what's your relationship to, like, you know, this movie and maybe Mel Brooks in general? Blazing Saddles is a movie that I didn't watch really regularly until um, 
until I met Lindsay because this was like her movie for a long time. Like this was one of the mm. ones because we, you know, we there's certain movies that Lindsay and I would watch together. It was like this and Independence Day, and I think you know probably like, <laughs> like, quite the quite the different quality there. <laughs> I mean, listen, that's some that's some that's some like for for Roland Emmerich. That's you know that's pretty top tier. Uh, true, true, yeah, yeah, true. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, so I like Mel Brooks. Uh, I seen Spaceballs first. That was the first thing I, I remember <laughs> seeing of his, which is not really anywhere near as good as some of the earlier stuff, but yeah. is very good. That's one of the ones it's, it's we had on VHS. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a kid's movie, Spaceballs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, for all of the puerile sophomoric humor, it really, like, it's, it's once you get past the age of 16. Yeah, it's, it's a kid's version of, like, poking fun at Star Wars, which is, like, a huge property, so it's, like, funny in and of itself that, you know, you take on this uh, titan of uh, the the movie age at that time, you know, golden age of cinema, you know. Yeah, I just, you know, I think what I'd gotten off of that was, um, and what stayed with me was there's a way that he could sort of take a really simple idea and make it funny. You know what I mean? He takes something that, like, mm-hmm. I don't know how old fashioned it was at the time, but like to me now, like the idea of like a joke ending on check, please, seems oh, like yeah. like like in the in the hands of anybody else, it's so hacky, but. He manages to turn it into this thing where, like, they've taken the guy from Alien and had the the, the, the chestburster come out, and he's seeing like, "Hello, my baby," you know. And there, like, there's something about the Looney Tunes like pitch that that Mel Brooks hits in his comedy, which he'll do. Makes... So, like, that's and he does that in Blazing Saddles too, which we, mm-hmm. which, which we'll talk about. Like, they've literally they've got a moment where they'd like do like a yes, <laughs> you know, he really does go for that. So Mel Brooks is like. He basically is all or nothing, right? Either it's like really, really broad or really, really pinpoint focused on one thing in particular. So like he'll mm-hmm. do those jokes that are, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. It's just funny. Like the the fart jokes, the fart scene in Blazing Saddles is yeah. just like if you're a kid, it doesn't matter. You don't require any context. It's funny. If you happen to like Westerns and you know that the reason why they did the joke is because, like, every time you see a Western, they're always, like, eating beans. Right. And, like, chewing tobacco. And you're like, well, yeah, of course, you'd be a, you'd be a fart monster. Uh, oh, my God. And I just want to say, I remember watching it, uh, it, watching Blazing Saddles on fucking Comedy Central where they edited everything to shit. And they edited out the fart scene. But not, like, where the, it's not happening. They just edit out the sound of the fart. So they're just sitting up and st- and, st- and sitting back down. You know, sitting up and sitting back. They're just standing up and then just sitting back down. And it just doesn't make any sense. And it's just like, what? This is stupid. You know, like, it farts too offensive, Comedy Central? Ah, what do you know about comedy, you bums? <laughs> but, that was, but that was one of the scenes. So, you know, Mel Brooks had, um, they had all, all these producers wanted to get rid of all of these different scenes. And that was, like, towards the top of the list of things wow. that were, that was too offensive. It was that and and and, and 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 the and the n-word, you see. And and uh, isn't that which funny is, which I, is a whole other conversation. Well, I find it a little funny how it's like, you know, in, in one respect, you, a lot of a lot of like modern eyes could look back on Mel Brooks's movies and say like, man, this is kind of quaint and old-fashioned with the humor of it. You know what I mean? This is like like he's doing sort of like 40s level, you know, vaudeville sort of like things. But then there's a certain sophistication and social commentary to it that comes with it that it's just like, "Oh shit, you threw us for the loop there. You were, you were just fucking with us." <laughs> you know? I, so I, I, I find that so clever. Certain, sure. I look, I think there's a real um depending from joke to joke in Blazing Saddles you can ask whether or not it's got a timelessness to it. But I think if you're looking at it just on the whole, 
I think that what he was trying to do ultimately is successful enough that um, I don't know if you knew this, but um, they did a there was a bit um, where uh, I think it was at, like the Kennedy Center or something, and there I think they were giving like a, a, an award to Mel Brooks and Barack Obama, who was then president at the time, was going to give him this award. And he said that he loved Blazing Saddles and he saw it when he was 12. Hmm. And Brooks was like, how did you get in to, you know, because it was that he's 12 years old. They shouldn't have been allowed to get to the movie. And Obama says, I think I had a fake ID that I got with my fake passport. I got with my, I got my fake, my fake birth certificate, excuse me. And what I thought about it was like that joke. Yo, he caught fits, Mel Brooks on it, it, it fits right in like that that thing that that way that Barack Obama was making fun of what was then one of the major ways that people were coming for him in a mm-hmm. way that was really racist is you know is is basically the same for sure thing that they were doing with Blazing Saddles. It's very very similar. What I find kind of to be so, sort of a bummer, like the thing that bums me out about the movie is that the the lead was not really happy with his own performance, uh, Cleveland uh, Little. Cleveland, that's interesting because, um, did you know originally Richard Pryor was supposed to be, was planned to be the lead? Mm-hmm. And I think that's funny because it's like, I remember hearing that and then like seeing this movie being like, but no, he's the perfect understatedness for this. Because I really do think Richard Pryor would have been slightly too silly. Because like every time I think of a Richard Pryor role, I'm and you know, unfortunately I think of the later films like The Toy and shit. <laughs> but it's Wonder like, he's Wheel. Just, Oh, right? no, oh Lord! Oh Lord! I just saw a review. Uh, listened to a review on a podcast. Someone did that movie, and I was just like, "Man, talk about the uh, like the inverse of a movie uh, like Blazing Saddles, where it's like it just gets worse with time. The more you know about this movie, that yeah. is, and that's a and that's a movie that was like that was a childhood mainstay for me. It was on TV oh, all Lord. the time. I remember, and it's like the the whole ending where they're at the you know uh, KKK rally, and it's just like your kid brain doesn't put together that. Wait a minute! This kid's dad is throwing this party. Yeah. Wait a minute! <laughs> not good. Not a good sign. Yeah. Wonder Wheel Oof. is still funny though. You got to give it up to Wonder Wheel. Wonder, <laughs> that's, Wonder that's, that's Wheel. Cry, oh no! <laughs> Wonder Wheel. But yeah, like I, I just think about it—the fact that like, um, yeah, originally they were gonna have Richard Pryor, and I'm just thinking like, hmm, you know, Gene, like uh, Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. Of course, they're they're the dynamic duo in the late '70s and early '80s. But it's just like. It just didn't, like, Cleavon Little just seems right here. It's the perfect toned down sort of like he's comedic, but in this chilled out, relaxed way that Richard Pryor kind of isn't. You know, Richard Pryor is always a lot more manic and high-strung energy. You know what I'm saying? Right. The thing about Cleavon Little is that he hadn't really done a lot um, of stuff that was on camera. I think he'd done a little bit of television work. I don't know if he'd done any major film work. He was really just a, a theater guy. So when he came on, you know, Mel Brooks can be a little bit. Um, I think controlling about what he wants. So, like, if you're mm. if you're somebody like Richard Pryor, you can bulldoze Mel Brooks. But if you're not, <laughs> you, you can't. You know what I mean? Like, it's a really, it's a, I think it's a battle of egos and and personality <laughs> in that regard. And so I don't, you know, I saw interviews where, where Cleveland Little. I, I don't think he hated the performance. I think he just felt like there was a lot more that he could have done. And, That's interesting. And then he wound I, up being reserved. And I think it's I, I think it's perfect. I think yeah, he, I think, I think it's good. the perfect way to play it. Yeah. Um, and I, I found it interesting because the last movie uh, we reviewed, Twelve Chairs, 
um, Gene Wilder was supposed to be in that movie, but it's the it's a role that ended up going to Frank Langella, who also plays it in like in his own way. That's interesting, but in a way that I really did want to see Gene Wilder play. It was just like you're good at this, but ooh, I can see Gene Wilder killing this. But as I watch this, I'm like. Cleveland Little, no, this is was exactly the energy that we needed. We needed someone who was understated because the jokes are quick-witted and coming at you really fast. You know what I'm saying? Mel Brooks is a very everything-in-the-kitchen-sink style of humor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where, like, it's just, he'll throw in jokes like that and have them come at you quickly enough that if it doesn't mm-hmm. if it doesn't work, it's okay. Then in five seconds, there'll be another one. Yeah, you know we're already I mean? hopping like, to the next. In at, fact, uh, w- uh, were you going to make a point, uh... No, no, I mean, I just, I think that that's, you know, a lot of the movie is, is stuff like that. And what's interesting is, like, for every line that's as good as that one, there's a bit that's, like, right after that where they're, like, punching a woman in the stomach. And she's, I forget what she's, she's, she's like, it didn't have used to be like such... this. Or like, have, have you, you ever, ever seen, seen such, such cruelty? cruelty? And you're like, <laughs> see, you think that's funny? And I'm like, so I don't, hacky. it's yeah. not as funny as the, as the, well, that's the end of the suit, which is so... Well, it's like MST3K level, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, the joke is of the the hyperbolicness of like these guys are such bad guys that they're just holding up an old woman and just taking turns. But like, that's the absolute worst thing that you could do next to just like, well, punching an animal, which Mongo also does. <laughs> you know, I thought it was kind of funny. There was an original line, you know, the uh, line where uh, Madeline Kahn, um, as the you know the the what's the word the the coquettish or uh uh you know the the femme fatale that's the word yeah the femme fatale of of the movie right well is she the femme fatale yeah, she, kind of because she was supposed to be like an agent of the bad guy but then gets turned by you know uh because Cleavon little is just such a great lover right um she she uh tries to seduce him right by uh, um you know turning off the lights and putting on a sexy little costume and she walks over to him and she says like uh you know is it true what they say about you know uh men like you and you hear an unzipping and she says it's true it's true it's true did you know there was a uh, censored line there that they originally wanted to have that was cut out where that's my, after that that's my, so you're sucking my arm yes <laughs> baby you are sucking on my elbow <laughs> it's like, oh my god. Another thing I wanted to say about that scene uh, is the fact that she says, you know, uh, what what is it? As he's leaving the next day, or, you know, he's like, baby, you are making a German spectacle of yourself. Well, when she's leaving, he, uh, when he's leaving and he closes the door, you know, she says like, oh, do, do, do. And for the longest time, you know, as a kid, I had no idea what the hell was going on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, as an uh, as an adult, and you know, I learned about like opera, and, you know, through German language and stuff like that. Like the do thing is like what you say to someone in German that you really love. It's like a very old fashioned sort of like uh, way of like um, term of endearment in in the terms of like like in that very old classical way where people would like have a party for it, like on the day that I start calling you that. Like, it, it's a really, like, sweet, close, personal thing. And I remember that specifically because it's from this opera, um, there's this opera called Deflator Mouse, in which there's a scene where uh, they're singing to each other, do we do, do we do, and it's supposed to be a very, like, sweet, you know, like, uh, intimate moment, and the idea is that, like, this is the moment that we, you know, refer to ourselves this intimately, you know what I mean? <laughs> So I thought it was funny that like after only one night of knowing this guy, she's throwing out do do do, you know. <laughs> That's just Madeline yeah. Khan, man. That's just how she is. 
<laughs> She's all like, I, in. I fucking love Madeline Kahn, but I, I do have to say for the thirst corner of this episode, which is which is the thing that we do, uh, it, it would have to go to the uh, the governor's assistant uh, earlier in the film. <laughs> What what about her? What what has she won? What's her prize? Oh oh! Uh, every episode we have a uh, like this person was just so hot we had to call it out thing. It's just a thing that we have on this show, and the person that I'm dubbing that for this episode is her. <laughs> oh, you're wrong. It's it's just Cleveland Little. I don't. <laughs> hey, you can have that. You can have that. I don't. I mean, like, listen. I love Madeline Kahn very much. Um, I you know I feel like. Um, n- Mrs. White and Clue is a sexual awakening in that I, I was very aware of my own queerness when uh when when she appeared. Clemon Little is just is just like he's got that perfect smile. So for me it's mm. him. If oh, got, especially when somebody. he shows up when he shows up like at first to the uh, uh to the town and all you can see is that big smile, you know? <laughs> well I mean my yes, absolutely, but you know, I mean like this the scene that's the most famous is the is the one where um Jim Wilder Gives him the line that he didn't know was coming. What? Which scene? So when when they're uh, when he goes out to try to relate to the townspeople because he figures like I'm oh I'm yes, sheriff, yes, things yes. go well, and the old lady is this... is very unkind <laughs> to him. Let's say yes, up yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, and he comes back to um, to Jim, and Jim says, "What did you expect? Welcome, Sonny." Make yourself at home. Marry my daughter. You've you've got to remember that these are just simple farmers. These are people of the land. The common clay of the New West. You know. Morons. And the thing is, the morons line... They didn't know, like so, so. So, so, little didn't know that that the morons line was in the script. They, didn't, they didn't give it so, to him. That's awesome. So when he laughs, it's a really genuine big laugh. And that's what's, great. What's really great about that is that if you look, I mean, like, look, I mean, that's not surprising. But so, Cleavon Little had given an interview and had talked a lot about how really only black men in comedy we're getting to work right that if you were a dramatic actor you weren't getting like the big oscar where the performances mm. it just those, those roles weren't being offered to you uh and i think that that was such a release valve because you know even in the process of making that movie of having the paranoia not to take away the joy of the scene but i think it's interesting that like he was thinking about his own limited control in where he was as an actor specifically in film but in general especially as a black man and with mel brooks kind of being a little bit controlling and i think probably as a result being really stressed that line that he didn't know was coming kind of is speaking to the exact struggle that he's in that like all of this is moronic right that's the whole point of blazing Mm -hmm. saddles is that it's Mm -hmm. racism is stupid like right. that's it. That's the whole point. Is that racism really serves nobody? It's just absolutely <laughs> and pointless, and and, 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 you, and you have to at some point <laughs> laugh at it. So I think it's such a genuine, you know. Again, like not to not to explain the joke, but like I just think it's so great. I think it works on such an interesting level for both of those actors, but especially for Cleveland Little not to know that it's coming. I think that's, you know, like I, maybe it's a common answer to say that that that's the best point in the whole film. But like that moment is just so perfect. 
Mm. No, uh, I mean, going back to the the thirst corner like idea, which is which is ha- th- this is your explanation of it ultimately, right? This is your explanation for yours. Now, uh, yeah, yeah, saying that like you know, I was thinking it might have been assumed to be Madeline Kahn for me because I usually do like the you know the high baby voice sort of girl, but like hers is just too much. It's like too over the like the W's and stuff is like no, it's just too Betty Boop. You know what I mean? Like I I fuck with and I fuck with baby voices. I fuck with Jennifer Tilly, Joey Lawrence, Adams. Like I fuck with that type of voice. You know what I mean? But like this is like o- over the pale for me, where it's too babyish. You know what I mean? I don't I don't know. I mean I like yeah. Mal- I like Madeline Kahn is a real. Um, I would have married Madeline Kahn. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, in That's this the role. kind of person I'd spend the rest of my life with. Madeline Kahn is, like, she's so fucking funny and apparently was very nervous about the the scene where she comes out and does the song. Oh, she's hilarious. Oh, that song. Oh, my God. It is so perfect. Like, just her, like, the little things that she gives to it. Just like, ah. Uh, was just, like, hardly trying to sing. Like, this person who's been doing this, probably this gig and this song for, like, ten years or something like that. You know, like, you can you can hear the weatheredness in every pitch of her voice. And how annoyed she is with all the bullshit and riffraff and assholes she has to deal with on a daily basis. That you see uh, an example of, a couple of examples of in the song, you know. You can catch your, so it's. <laughs> Mel Brooks at one point said it was the filthiest thing he ever wrote. Yes, that song. Um, but I think what's great is that she plays it so straight. And if you if you're really careful, right as because they t- they drag her off stage and then they bring her back in and then they do it again. And I don't think she knew that they were going to do that, so she manages to hold it together. But as they lift her up the second time to drag her off stage, if you look really closely, you can catch her laughing. <laughs> nice, which is good. I just like here's the thing about it: you can really tell that. Um, there's some really great genuine moments of joy from the performers that are just like mm-hmm. I mean there's uh, they're just so so funny and so and, and, and so, so like, good so organic feeling like there's something about this even though I mean they're talking with very 70s affectations especially with the black people you know it's like hey you shifted nigga they said you was hung and they was right you know like that's <laughs> just a great line and so like of the 70s and of course like specifically with that irreverent uh uh intention right of like we're doing this cowboy movie but oh we're speaking like you know a motherfucker on the street would you know oh that was the the point that i was making i find it so funny that people like if you watch his movies yeah there is that sense of like vaudevillian old school style humor but there's also this like uh, uh very witty and and sense of dirtiness that's underneath it that is being censored by the people of the day so i find it funny that we're like oh this ha- this comedy has an old style sensibility to it but the stuff that he wanted to do fully if he was allowed his control would have been so much filthier than would have been allowed at that time you know i find it so funny that there's that dichotomy going on there you know what i mean sure well i think what's really interesting is that you know and i guess this is really the 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 conversation to have about this movie you know, everybody says everybody. It's a common refrain that you couldn't make a Mel Brooks movie today. <laughs> oh, and oh man, I wanted to bring that up too. I wanted to bring that up too. Holy fucking shit! How dumb are these motherfuckers that are not getting the point of this movie? How dumb are the people that are like, oh, uh, uh, uh the reason why uh, they can't make a movie today is because I mean they just won't let us say the n word. Am I right, fellas? It's just like 
Is that what you took from the movie? Is that all you got? Is that what you were? Is that all you were thinking when you saw the first scene of the, you know, that that cowboy uh, 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 fuckhead who's always grinning, you know, and he's like, "Doc, that c-word, uh, days pay for napping on the job." After he passes out from the sweltering 120 something heat, like the thing that you took from that wasn't that. Oh man, wow, we're really calling out how these guys are racist and how they're, you know, uh, taking advantage of these Chinese people. No, it's oh, how come I can't say the c-word anymore? It's like. Wow, you stupid motherfuckers. <laughs> I mean, listen, those are the same people that wait. You know, they want they want to work with black people so that, that those black people can tell them it's okay to say the N-word. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know those guys? I've worked, oh, many, yeah. I, I've worked oh, many oh, retail jobs do. in my life. And you always, there's always like, no matter what gig you're doing, there's always like a couple of black guys and it's always the same story. There's always somebody that wants to be able to use the N-word. They want it so bad. So they'll try and hang out with those guys to see if they can get permission. <laughs> I, I can't tell you. It's such a weird thing that I, like, in the, I don't, not service industry, but, like, in the retail industry, it was a thing that I noticed again and again, a very weird thing. Yes, it's all those service people, industry same people are guys, bad. Same guys. <laughs> all the, only the service industry people are racist. No. <laughs> no, they're, they're everywhere. It's just where I, you know, happen to it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, life. for sure. But, like, that's it. Now, I think it's an interesting question if you get, once you get past that, like once you leave aside the concept of you couldn't have a Mel Brooks movie like Blazing Saddles because you can't say the N word, once mm. you once you throw that to the side, then you can have a real conversation about it because I don't for sure I don't think that it's something that should be just immediately discarded and I'll tell you why. Um, so Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner used to do a bit together. Um, I don't know if you covered this in a previous oh, podcast. Oh, the, the, the 10,000 year old the man. Two, that, the 2,000 two, two year old man. Yeah. So, do you know the deal with that sketch? What what the story was? Uh, I I only I only know it was an interview that he did, and the idea is that he found an old man, and it was played for like a gag. So the thing about it was they'd been doing this bit at parties for like five years, mm. but they didn't ever put it on a record. They never performed it on stage. And the reason why is because when they first started doing it, you know, the world was in such a place that they felt a real anxiety about Mel doing the, the Jew voice in front, in, front, in front of the Gentiles. Wow. Like that, that the Goyim would like, I, how how would they react? What would it do? That, yeah, you know, I get like what Like at that saying. point, you know, Hitler would still run over the fucking world. And so yeah, see, there it, was a real it, anxiety oh. about whether or not they could really safely do it. And they did it at a party. Mm. And there were, a, for whatever reason, there were a couple of really upper crusters there, like really successful co- comedians and, and folks that knew stuff. And one of the people there was George Burns. And George Burns <laughs> came over and said, like, is there a record of this? And they go, no. And he goes, make a record of this. If you don't, ah, I'm... He if, George if, Burns' blessing. And, but no, not only did he, what he said was, make a record of it. If you don't, I'm stealing it. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, I love George Burns. Special shout out to George Burns. He's also another OG comedy guy. Where I, I remember discovering Young and just being like, you know, it, it, there's always the assumption like, oh, old style comedians, they're not funny. They just say these old gags that won't make any sense and don't have any context. He was one of those guys that was just like, no, this motherfucker is still funny. You, it doesn't matter what generation you are. He's just that good at like subverting your expectations and making you laugh, you know? Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so like I think what's interesting is that they'd spent so long and then what they found is when they went out and did it, that people did react well and that, you know, ultimately was really good for their careers. But, you know, there was 
anxiety, right? I mean, like like Mel Brooks literally has a movie called High Anxiety, and that's what that's about. You know, it's like really the 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 what makes it funny is, is the release that you get, but it's really hard to know when the time is right. When you're at the right point in history, not just for the world, but for yourself to be able to say like, yeah, I could do this. See, this is what I found interesting is that when once we started uh, doing these movies, when I, we started with the producers and immediately I had that feeling of like, yo, they're making the springtime for Hitler joke. This is 1968. This, look at your watch. This ain't too far away from World War II. Like, <laughs> you know, like as a kid, I just think of it as like, oh yeah, everyone makes the Hitler jokes. But it was like, whoa, it was actually a little, was a little soon. <laughs> You know, like, the fact that he went for that was edgy in and of itself, like, in this way that feels old style now, but only because someone like him was doing it so early, you know, like. Right. I think, you know, history feels different for different people in different ways, right? Like, for sure. Uh, you know, like, uh, me growing up, I would think, you know, my dad would be like, I like the Beatles, and I'd be like, that's old person music. Meanwhile, mm -hmm. you know, like. The Beatles had only broken up 10 years before I was born. That 10 years is no time at all. You know what right, I mean? Right, right. But in the, by the same token, you know, I think depending on who you are, like if you're a kid and you don't have a survivor in your family or you don't, you know what I mean? Like it's not really in your, it's not in your wheelhouse. To you, World War II is a long way away. There is no, mm -hmm. there is no Jew for whom World War II is a long way away. It's always yesterday. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's just it. Yeah, I got you. But, like, you know, I think what's really interesting about Blazing Saddles, within its own context of when it came out and then looking at it now in in the present-day context, is that here you had Mel Brooks, who had found a, a comfort in being able to do this kind of humor that was at first kind of taboo, and he was even afraid of doing it, which was dealing with, the history and the grief of the Jewish people through comedy, but then he wanted to adapt it for, to do the same thing for black people. But Mel Brooks is not a black man. So, like, yeah. you watch it and you go, like, like, you grip yourself real tight because, like, he's not the one to really, like, how is he going to be able to do it? Is it really is it because it's not the same thing? Like, yes, we, you know, we both have histories of oppression, but um, it's not the same. Well, I find it interesting because he did get Richard Pryor on to help write a lot of, right. you know, the, the material. But what's interesting is that, like, uh, Richard Pryor actually mainly was interested in doing the Looney Tunes gags, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, he created Mongo as a character he came up with. Yes! <laughs> and Mongo is very like, no, which way did he go, George? Which way did he go? You know, like, that's his thing. But I find, what I also find interesting is that, um, what, what did he say? Mel Brooks made the point of, like, he didn't want to have, you know, the black guy get killed, you know, because, like, that's not funny. The The funny thing is that he survives. You know, he is the the character who's able to, you know, um, um, uh, th that that classic, what the hell, the trickster character who's, like, able to get one over on the so-called authorities. You know what I mean? Right. And well, they definitely want, they definitely want him to be, um, Bart is, is, is part Bugs Bunny. No question. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, especially in the direct call to it. Um, but w there, it, there is that one line that they say uh, that I re referenced earlier. You know, he said, "Shit, I thought they said you was hung," and he was like, "And they was right." Like, and that's played for a joke. But like, I had that second of pausing, and was like, "The joke is he was supposed to be dead." <laughs> like, you know, like just having that moment of like, 
oh man, yeah, he was like this plot purely hinges on like, oh, he was supposed to die, but purely the only reason why he was he was kept alive was because, and then of course my mind unlocked again uh, to the deeper social commentary of this plot, which is like. Uh, what is it? Oh yeah, the plot's essentially the governor, who's played by Mel Brooks, pretending to look progressive by uh sending, well, by hiking up crime, uh, it, like artificially hiking up crime, and then sending in a black sheriff to look progressive and be like, oh look, we got a black guy, huh? Doesn't that make us look good? Don't won't I look so progressive? Knowing that these backwards town people are probably either gonna tear them apart or the town's gonna, you know, further go into disarray and be destroyed anyway. But that doesn't matter because the whole point was that they wanted to send a rail uh, a railroad through Rock Ridge and this is like it just goes back to that whole fucking commentary of like you know the fucking Robert Moseses of the world who are like oh well progress needs to be done so get the fuck out of the way Italians and Jewish people up in New York you know what I mean like it's that oh that social commentary of like you know uh, progress in one way like doesn't excuse people being screwed over in other ways you know what I mean well sure I mean it makes me think of um, you know in a modern context which again this will be a thing that we'll talk about um now you've got the concept of like a sensitivity reader, right? Companies, mm. big corporations, are hire on somebody. They'll be like, "We've got this. This one's a, is is black and a lady, so she'll be able to tell us if this is offensive." Right, so they'll right. like put and say, "Is this okay?" Yeah, we have and to say that forty baloney dumb gentlemen. And if she says yes, <laughs> it's okay. And then she ends up being wrong, and there's a big backlash. Then the corporation goes, goes to say, "Well, this lady said it was okay, and she right, and, and, right, and she is most definitely at least at least eight percent a black person, at least. So you <laughs> can't I, be mad at us. And then they get to fire the the woman and be like, right. you know what I mean? So like, I feel like that's you know that's sort of well, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what, what it he is, is like, as the sheriff. For sure, it, and it goes back to the, these general problems that we just have in general where it's just like, if you're, it, you know, these people in positions of power that don't actually care about helping black people, but they know if they do the thing that forwardly, you know, to everyone looks bad, well, then we'll get shit for it. So let's do the thing that won't actually solve the problem, but will just look really nice. You know, and it's just like, oh my God, it never ends. And if you just actually, you know, talk to black people and let them, to ask them what the actual problems is, then we can solve them. But you don't actually want to solve the problems. You don't care. And, oh my God, ah, we're supposed to be talking about having fun and talking about places and with the social commentary. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Mel Brooks should make a movie about Queens, New York, and how um, and and the subways trains are messed up uh, on the the line that I that I live off of, which is the NW train. Like all that stuff is not really in great shape, and they, there's no elevators. So like, if you can't take the stairs to get up to where the train is, I guess you ain't taking the train. They said they uh -huh. were going to fix it, and then what they did instead was they quote beautified they did a beautification of the train line they are, made, are, are they made it nice they like put some mosaic glass are you uh using my podcast to uh, get out your uh, personal grievances with the local uh with your specific local uh politics going on there do something about this aoc where are you let's go I know you're Where saving the you? world, but please fix the trains that no one can Where? use right now. AOC <laughs> is Superwoman, and Let's we're just hoping go. that our cry will be heard as she stands over the world. <laughs> and you know, because like, what? You never and know. Maybe, maybe, maybe AOC, hear my prayer. Um, <laughs> please just get some get some elevators up in there, and then have Mel Brooks make a movie about it. 
Um, <laughs> when you originally said that, I thought you were asking. I thought you were going to subtly start making hints about like you know uh, Mel Brooks should make a movie about Brooklyn and uh, on the hottest day ever in 1989. About you know, I was like, well, I guess that is so- also social commentary, but in another way. <laughs> you did it. You really did it. Uh, but yeah, I, I love that one line where he goes like, oh, holy underwear, you know, we have to save our phony baloney jobs, gentlemen. <laughs> you know, we have to do something immediately. <laughs> and yeah, the whole uh, driving point behind it with Eddie Lamar be- playing the most perfect villain. Headley, Le- uh, Headley, Headley. Eh, that's Headley. Headley. <laughs> Harvey Corbin, hey, th- very funny. Hey, this is 1864. You could sue her. Oh, <laughs> uh, sorry. I got to stop before we just start quoting the whole movie. <laughs> Headley Lamar is the one who puts in his head the idea that, oh, if you hire this guy, it wouldn't it look so progressive? Wouldn't it be so great? And you might end up being president someday, just like, you know, uh, Pre- President Lincoln might, uh, you know, put you in a cabinet position or something like that. And so, yeah, that's the only reason for him doing this supposed good thing. Not because it's going to make the world a better place or it's going to actually help, but because, oh, won't I look good in the history books, you know? Um... So, yeah, yeah, it's that sort of calling out of the people who don't actually want to help but just want to look good. Uh, then, of course, we go to, uh, what's that scene? Oh, yeah, I fucking love the scene where, um, where Mongo shows up in town and just everyone's hyperbolic reactions of, like, the fucking, what was the, the priest who just goes, holy shit, and starts running. And then the guy who's like, oh man, they might have a cure for anthrax. Can you believe? This is incredible. 1864. Wow. And then like the other guy just looks over and says, never mind that shit. Here comes Mongo. And then Mongo punches a horse in the just, face. Just The guy says, you can't park here. He doesn't punch him. He punches the horse. And the whole guy just falls. It's just such a great, just like, fuck all of you. Fuck you and the horse you rode in on, bitch. That was that was another scene that they didn't that the producers wanted to cut from the film was him punching a horse. Why? I don't know. Oh, uh, for you know, it might have been Peter. Yeah, pretty funny. And this one was just like, how was the scene filmed? I'll just not ask questions. Yeah, I don't need to know. I don't need to know that information. But um... I don't want to know. <laughs> um. But yeah, oh, speaking of the, the, the gags where, like you said, you know, there's ga- there's jokes of all kinds. It's a you know, Simpson smorgasbord of different types of jokes. Uh, the high art mixed with the low art of comedy. And there's one, like, mostly the things that you won't get, like, in terms of, like, the beans and how, like, oh, yeah, there are lots of beans in these cowboy movies. And, of course, that would cause them to fart a lot. Like, that's something you can laugh at regardless of whether or not you get it. There was one joke in particular where they were like, oh, uh, I need your help. And like, uh, you wouldn't do it for me. You'd do it for Randolph Scott. And it's like, <gasps> Randolph Scott, Randolph Scott. And like, they go into like the choir and like, you know, my whole life, I'm just like, I don't know who the fuck that is, but just the hyperbolic reverence that they have is always just enough to make you laugh regardless. You know what I mean? Because you're just like, what in the fuck? <laughs> you know, that according to, uh, I don't know how apocryphal or how true this is, but the the fart joke apparently was like one of the first times they'd ever done that in film. Have people farting? Yeah, just having people farting like that. Revolutionary comedy, Mel Brooks, but like, farting but in seventies cinema. Look at that. In the present day, fart jokes are kind of like hacky, right? When someone puts yeah, a fart like, joke yeah, in for a movie, you're like, this is embarrassing. Yeah, a fart joke in a movie today is a Seth MacFarlane Ted movie gag where it's just like, oh my fucking god, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. not that it can't be funny, but like, boy, you really. It's, you better get it right. You, know you, I mean? you gotta like, surprise them. You gotta throw them off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Usually the fart joke doesn't really land, but at the time it was really, I guess, 
very refreshing. Really, really woke people up. Really blew them back of their seats. Uh, With a resounding, deep, low butt burp. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I was there's. It, I think it's interesting that right. Like these are the two layers of the film. The what was risky at the time. What could you still make now if you were going to make it? And have we just entered a weird period, right? Because, like, I mean, like, here, answer the question honestly. Do you think someone should make Blazing Saddles now? No, I don't think so. Because we as a culture are in a different space than people were back then, where race was something that was still, like, I mean, for context, this is 74, Civil Rights Act was 68, you know? Like, when you immediately have that context of, like, Black people are just being allowed to say, hey, um, um, can I just say on the main stage that I'm kind of tired of being treated like shit? You know, like, that was just starting to be a thing. And it's not like all the sol- problems were solved r- anyways, right? It's not like, oh, when we went to the 70s, everything was okay. And I think what's great about Blazing Saddles is that it punctured that. And it was saying that, because you know that there were those conservative people that are like, well, well, the black people got what they wanted in 68, so shut up and everything's fine now. And it's Blazing Saddles saying, no, they're still being treated like shit, aren't they? Aren't they? You know, like, this is exposing that. It's in the same way that I think Quentin Tarantino movies are kind of interesting to me. Because I I know a lot of people give Quentin Tarantino shit for putting the N-word in his movies, right? But for me, as a kid, growing up, as, like, a black kid, you know, watching a movie by a white guy who is the modern popular, you know, uh, 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 like, he is the voice of modern cinema, right? And it's like, whoa, he's saying that white people say the N-word a lot? Wait a minute, they still say, wait a minute, they still say that? You know, like, that was kind of, like, revolutionary for me, because I think back to that, what was that Eddie Murphy uh, skit that he once said, where he's just like, yeah, you know, white people aren't as bad anymore, and, well, at least not around me, so I guess I wouldn't know. <laughs> it's like there is that sense of like there is just a certain language you're just not gonna hear because the white people around you are either gonna be you know the good white people or they're the white people who know well enough, <laughs> you know, not to say that if they're around you, you know. <laughs> well, sure. I, well, so, the, I mean, like if you're talking about that, then I think, uh, I mean, Eddie Murphy had a pretty infamous run-in, didn't he? With who was it? it was um, it was Dick Cavett. Oh, what happened? Oh, fuck Dick Cavett. <laughs> I always hear so much shit. Every time I see something about, like, a clip on his show, he's always, like, the most regressive-sounding motherfucker in that shit. <laughs> but this is, like, this is, you know, this is, like, 1985, so it's, like, well after Blazing Saddles. Right. But, you know, certainly, you know, Eddie Murphy was was known for, for using the N-word prolifically mm-hmm. in his comedy, um, as Richard Pryor yeah. had done before him. And uh, <clears throat> Dick Cavett basically brought... Eddie Murphy on the show and said the N word to him. Wow. Like just said it, like said, like, let's have a conversation about this word, about your use of the word. And, and like Eddie Murphy, does, like, you can see the, the, the blood drain from him a little bit because he's, he's really like, like, cause, like cause, I'm, cause the thing I'm is that he, guy, well, because, because he's sitting there and he goes like, why? Well, no, it wasn't just that. It's like, it's that moment where you, you think like I could walk out of here if I say nothing right now, or right. I could do what I want to do, and then I'm going to jail. Right. <laughs> right. I get you. You know, and um, and it's really, it's really wild to watch it. And it's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, Blazing Saddles, like, predates that. Um, well, and, But, and like, it's, wh- it's just, it goes to show how, I mean, like, it's just, I don't know. What, like, I guess what I'm getting at is, like, 
Blazing Saddles seemed like, boy, it still would have found some pretty serious fucking purchase in 85 based on that. Um, so what is it about now that makes you say not Blazing Saddles? I guess what I'm saying is it's like in the same way that Richard Pryor's comedy is revolutionary by him saying the N-word, like in that respect. Like, it, yeah, it would not translate as well today in not necessarily the exact same uh, uh, way of comparison, but in a similar way that we talked about the fart jokes, right? Where it's just like, oh, no one's allowed to talk about farts, and if you do that, that's bad. And, oh, it's revolutionary that he's doing it. And now, today, you know, I guess you can make a fart joke, but is that really clever? You know, like, I guess you could, uh, you know, have a white guy saying that, or like, but was that really clever? By this point, that's been so punctured that we know that that's wrong. You've got to be a little bit more clever if you're going to be taking on that sort of topic. You know what I mean? And that's why we get these these corny movies that don't really try to, don't really try to push the barrier in that sort of uh, Brechtian way of, you know, challenging you like the, of the Blazing Saddles movie does. Uh, uh, you know, where we get these green book type of fucking movies that are, uh, y- you know about Brecht, right? Where it's just like, you're not satisfied. You are angry about the fact that these characters like are like this, you know? But, you know, with these Academy Award winning movies where it's just like, and racism was solved when the black guy just figured out that he needed to calm down. You know, like, <laughs> when the black guy just figured out that, that we're white people are good people too and we're not all bad. So, you know, don't be too judgy now, black person. Right. You know? <laughs> well, I, mean, I think, you know, I do think we make movies like it, you know, because this is the thing, right? Like when people say, well, you couldn't make a movie like Blazing Saddles, but... Um, but look but at what the, we are the, making today. Like I said, Green Book got made. Like, what but, the fuck? <laughs> but here's what I'm saying to you. Like, I think that um, in the right hands, you could do something similar. And when I say For that, sure. I mean that it has been... For it, sure. I like, get what you're like, if, if we're going back to um, Jewish comedians that have an ability mm. to do this, I mean, uh, Borat, Sasha Baron Cohen's mm. like the first mm-hmm. Borat movie is good. The second Borat movie is so shockingly Golden. of a time, which is our time, <laughs> and and has mm. got like just layers upon layers. You know, to me, that's yeah. the closest thing that you've got to Blazing Saddles. And so, so all right. So let me put it to you like this: you can still do this, but you need to be so good at it that it. That it elevates it and brings that, you know, intelligence and wit with it in the same way that you need to do it with a fart joke. You can't just do it. You can't just have a bunch of guys just sitting at a campfire and farting. That's not as clever now. You got to step it up. You got to throw me off. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's got to mean something more. And that's the thing about comedy. It's like, stop being fucking lazy, comedy writers out there. Sorry, we already heard the joke. Got to make a new one. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, uh, uh, you know, comedians who just want to rely on old racist tropes that people stopped laughing at in the '80s because you know people figured out it was kind of offensive to the people that it was being made jokes about. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, th- those minorities uh, are allowed to speak up now and they didn't like it. Oh, sorry, <laughs> got to figure out how to be more clever. It sucks. Do your job better. <laughs> Because yeah, like, there are like, people what? who are doing it well, right? Because yeah. like you said, there are people who are doing it well. Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, there was no, you know, uh, cancel mob trying to go on after him. No, everyone's just like, oh, no, we need to see this because this is saying something about what's happening in society. And that's how those jokes work. It's not just, I said the N-word, applaud me for being transgressive. It's, I am proving a point about a character who would say that. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's where the cleverness is. And that's why these fucking hacky fucks who made... And again, let's not act like these movies aren't being made. What the fuck was that fucking movie uh, last year? Uh, uh, um, the one about that that uh, uh, fake Patrick Warburton-looking motherfucker who is like, 
oh, I'm playing the voice of a black woman on the radio and I'm giving advice and blah, 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 blah. Y- you know what you know what movie I'm talking about? I don't remember the name of it, but yeah, I had completely forgotten that that had happened. Yeah, <laughs> so let's not act like people aren't still trying to, to push the envelope, but the reason why it's not catching fire is because eh, it's not fucking funny. <laughs> No, it's pretty. It's, you know? it's pretty bad. What was the the joke that? Oh, God, we were talking about something uh, the other day, and I told you that I thought that um, if you'd let Seth MacFarlane do whatever he wanted, you'd you'd see you'd see him do like a, a remake of Soul Man. Oh Lord, you know he fucking would. Uh, uh, what was another one? Got one in Jeff his back Dunham. pocket, ready to go. For fucking sake, for fuck's sake, Jeff Dunham. His ass was allowed to have a career all throughout the two thousands, and I remember having that moment of just like, wait. All of these are just offensive caricatures. Wait a minute. <laughs> All of them were. <laughs> like, I was just like, okay, Aquaman and Terrorist. Yeah, of course, that was offensive. And then, oh, the sleepy Mexican and the, oh, and the gay character and the, oh, and the, <laughs> and the pimp and the, oh. <laughs> these were all just racist. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Uh, so yeah. let's not act like motherfuckers are not making making dimes off of. Sure, uh, I think I know. think it I think it's interesting the the shape that it takes. We talked about this on the on Song versus Song, the podcast that I do with Todd in the Shadows, in which you, hey. the episode that you guessed it on, uh, where we did um, Post Malone versus DeBaby, mm-hmm. Rockstar versus Rockstar. Um, go check out that Rockstar episode. versus very Rockstar. Good. Very good, very good. <laughs> but um, and we talked about how. Nora Lum had found so much success as Aquafina, but it always said that, you know, as soon as she got like one like really successful role that she'd jump right out of being Aquafina and be Nora Lum again. It's like fuck she that, was she was and she was gonna cut all the, 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 the rap shit out, like, you know, and that was what happened. She got you know, she basically had one really big success and she started to kick away this other thing that she'd used you know appropriation that's the word that i'm getting at um yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i don't know i think it's i think it's interesting because yeah if you just did black saddle blazing saddle straight black jesus christ blazing saddle straight yeah. then you'd um yeah now it would just be really hacky because it's just well yeah it, it would be hacky because like well yeah of course we know like the, the racist guy is bad at the beginning like yeah we knew that like but what's more clever about it is Today would be showing how that racism like is latent within the, within the system and how that manifests itself. You know what I'm saying? That would be the clever thing. You know? I just don't. Th- I just don't think you can. So like, what I would say is this: um, you look at Blazing Saddles and the big um, the big thing that I, we talked about at the beginning was how uh, Cleavon Little didn't feel confident enough as a performer. If you were gonna make a Blazing Saddles movie now you'd have to have had an actor that would really feel confident in having a conversation about where that character's got to go. And sure, there's no, yeah. and like, you know, I'm not, I don't subscribe to the idea of like, if you're going to do this, it has to be, everybody's got to be black behind the camera. There have to be black people behind the camera. You can't otherwise, you know what I mean? Like this movie skates by because like you said, you've, you've got Richard Pryor who had wrote some of these bits. Can you imagine mm-hmm. what that movie would have been like without him? I can't. Yeah. Would have been real bad. You know, it was another movie that came out around this time. Um, Coonskin. It it was 78, I think. With Lance, uh, um, who is the guy who makes those movies? Ralph Bakshi. And I remember watching that movie and feeling like, at first, and I had never seen it before, and I just watched it like recently. And I remember having that feeling of like, 
oh man, it's going to be about black people, but it's by this like Jewish guy. Like, does he know? Black, how's this going to turn out? And I remember watching it and being like, huh, this didn't offend me in the way that I thought it was going to. Because like, they actually have black voices and it's actually like allowing them to like make the jokes and like talk about it. You know what I mean? So it was just like, whoa, this is throwing me off. In a way that was such a bucking of the way that those old 40s cartoons were, right? Where it was like, oh, we sure do like that jazz and we're going to make jokes about it and just show you guys the big funny lips and da da da. But in this movie, there's like, the black people are allowed to be the voices and and joke on white people and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, there's this voice that black people are kind of being really allowed to get in the 70s. That's kind of fascinating to see kind of play out in movies like this, you know? But back, she is um, a very interesting character. Um, he had he'd grown up in a black neighborhood, and so I think that mm. that kind of had an impact on what uh, for you know. I I kind of liken Bakshi a little bit to Howard Stern because Howard Stern also <laughs> was a was a Jewish guy I that grew up in a, that grew up in a black neighborhood, and so yeah. he felt as though because he'd lived the same life to a degree because he'd gone to the same school and lived in the same neighborhood that he understood. And therefore, it was allowed to do the thing, yeah. right? And it's oh, like, how, and, and how yes, I think that I think that, harsher, yeah. I think if you look at you know something like Coonskin and 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 heavy traffic and um and a lot and, and Fritz the Cat and all that stuff, like you could like, it's not the worst, but like you could tell that this, <laughs> this motherfuckers ain't perfect. <laughs> but but, but, but Bakshi was you know I mean it, it reads exactly like what it is a Jewish guy that grew up in a in a largely black neighborhood that like had a glimpse in but didn't really get it because you Mm -hmm. because you can't you can't like you know i live in new york and listen you know i mean like you get like there's this weird idea that black people and jewish people don't get along not 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 any neighborhood i ever grew up in you know like Mm -hmm. there is a lot more that i think that connects the two parties than doesn't mm. um but there's but like i think it you know for a jewish person to try to come in and be like so i'll speak on behalf of the black people is no bueno you <laughs> can't be so doing what you're that. saying is is the black people and the jewish people need to need to cut, get together and have a have a coalition <laughs> and be the black israelites and <laughs> uh, you done what was you saying? finished <laughs> You know, I, I, isn't that annoying though? And it's just like there is that connection there, and those assholes are fucking ruined it by basically claiming it. You know, <laughs> that's literally how everything goes. Do you ever have? A- oh God, it is how everything goes. Oh fuck, man, that's literally everything. <laughs> take like, take, take a take a person that you like. Name any figure that you like. Some public <clears throat> some public persona person that that like you think says a lot of good things, but. They also do some stuff that you really strongly disagree with, right? Yeah. You can't – you'd want to say something about it, but if you go online and look at people criticizing that person, that person is always being criticized for the shit they're doing right. Right. Oh, I've seen that so much online. Holy fucking shit. And you're like, but I want to I wanna say the thing, but, oh, I'm only going to get pushed in with the assholes, so – Fuck, man. That's what. That's the type of shit that ruined the Ghostbusters co- uh, uh, whole rollout. Because it was just like, hey, uh, female-led Ghostbusters. Oh, interesting. Flipping the console. Okay. Oh, uh, women aren't allowed to have jobs. I, I, this is a fucking stupid. And I'm like, whoa, my, let me watch the movie. Let me ju- judge the comedy. With, God damn it. <laughs> you know? Like, shit, man. <laughs> and it's very, you know, so like Mel Brooks, it's like you want to be able to say, like, I like Blazing Saddles. I think that it gets more right than it gets wrong. I think that he had a good team sure. behind the behind the thing, but like 
then you accidentally fear that you're going to get lumped in with these people that are like treat him like he's above reproach treat a guy like george carlin like he's above reproach like they've never said anything yeah. wrong in their entire lives right um right i remember even as a kid being like like i love george carlin stuff but you know he told me to think so i would think about his material sometimes and i'd be like hey that kind of felt like that was the wrong way to go about that you know what i mean like uh, well, I, I think I, I can't remember if I brought this up uh, to you before, but the whole the joke about him saying like, "Oh, can you imagine how hard it must be to be a bisexual? Can you imagine wanting to have sex with everybody?" Uh, and it was just like, you know, that joke was said early '80s. You know, people don't really know what you know bisexuality really means. But like in my modern, even kid years at the time, it was just like, but I mean, being bi doesn't mean you want to have sex with everyone of every your race. It's like, I mean, of every, yeah, of this, both sexes just cause like, cause I, I like one sex, but I don't want to have sex with all of that sex. <laughs> like, you know, just that, that very simple, but because it's a caricaturized version of those people that isn't really, you know, people aren't really trying to understand as much, you know, you're allowed to get away with a, a more basic gag like that. You know what I'm saying? Despite him having very, a, a lot of thought provoking material that guys like you know, a-holes who would, you know, only want you to say edgy shit, don't want to think about, <laughs> interestingly enough. You know what I mean? They never want to think about, the, you know, the George Carlin bits where he talks about, you know, challenging the uh, uh, fucking, um, what's-his-names of the world. You know, the uh, the fucking hickory dickory duck, those guys of the world. Andrew by saying Dice that, like, Clay. Yeah, yeah, Andrew Dice Clay, by saying, that, like, you know, your comedy is just kind of appealing to these, you know, uh, poor working class white guys that feel threatened by women and minorities like you know like so he called that shit out you know what i mean but you know motherfuckers ain't perfect like i said at the end of the day so that's why we that's why we that's why we be critical as we be you know uh <laughs> jumping back into it though the way this how do you feel about the way this movie ended because like i always as a kid felt like it was just like wait what's happening is this a different movie now and i remember enjoying it like it's one of those things where, like, it pulls you in as a kid just because of that nature of, like, it reminds me of, you know, the Duck Amuck cartoon, you know what I mean? Which is always my favorite, which is, like, it just breaks what's happening to just be like, oh, now we're falling out of the film and, you know, in this ridiculous way that you probably haven't seen in a movie before. But then it's just kind of like, wait, but what happened to the plot? What's what's going on? <laughs> Are you out of the movie now? <laughs> it's very zany. You know? It's very zany. Yeah, and like, you know, they kind of end on the idea that it's supposed to just be the trope of, you know, going off into the sunset, but oh, we're in a nice, like, Cadillac or something like that, you know what I mean? So, I guess that's also him sort of uh, uh, throwing up his hands as a storyteller, but also, uh, you know, on the back end going, ah, but this is a comedy parody movie, so did you really want a deep story that would go into the all the political intrigue? Nah, you wanted a nice joke to go out on. Fuck you, get out of here. <laughs> you know? I so, yeah. Overall, definitely fucking stands up. Definitely watch it, and definitely challenge all the assholes who just want to say the N-word around you and don't actually <laughs> think critically about it. So. Yeah, let them know. I don't, yeah, no. I mean, and, and obviously, like that, you know, that ending thing you were talking about. I think quite infamously, the Dom DeLuise stuff, where like the jokes are about um, how everybody that's a dancer is gay. Yeah, but you know, interestingly, like, like a lot of the the actual like when you see the little mini gags happening, they're not as harsh as you'd expect it to be. Like the part where they're like, you know, the one guy they're fighting and it goes behind, and then they come out the other end and they're like talking. You know, they're like, oh, I'm parked over by the commissary. <laughs> Like, it's just like, huh, that didn't go as mean as I thought it would go, you know? Yeah, it just doesn't really land, that's all. Like, I don't yeah. find myself being mad. Like, that's the thing. Like, if I look at Blazing and, Saddles, and also it's, I just don't oh, think yeah. it, it, you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing in it that makes 
me personally, and this is not to say, you know, like I'm not the arbiter of how people ought to feel, but um, I don't find myself going like, oh man, I hate that. Oh, that, I don't like, think you get the, the feeling that he's trying to be go like, ah, right? This doesn't really work anymore. But like, I don't, yeah. I don't care. <laughs> With the the yes, the Steve escaping gag. <laughs> it's a little. It's very hacky. It's and it's about as close as I think the movie gets to being mean to a group of people that isn't, you know, yeah. racists. Yeah. Well, do you have anything else you wanted to bring up? No. I did it. I said it all. Now no one, no we one ever it, we... no one ever needs to talk about this movie ever again. Right? That's it. We we Nailed closed it. the seal. I mean, because honestly, I was surprised we were going to have as much as we did. Because I was just like, what the fuck is there to say that's not like just saying, yep, this is still funny. Yep, you should still watch this, <laughs> you know? But uh, if you have it, fucking goddamn do. What the hell are you, what the hell are you sitting around listening to our dumbasses for? Watch the fucking movie, goddamn son of a bitch, but subscribe to our shit first. But... <laughs> that's right, it's very important. There's one thing I can tell you for sure. It's that you can find me on Twitter... Mm-hmm. At Danny Ordinary. Is that a fact? That's Danny with one N. Ordinary, also with one N. And you can also follow the Song vs. Song podcast on Twitter at Song vs. Song Pod. And we have a Patreon where you can go and uh, pay $1 and get access to all of our bonus episodes that we've done over the last two years. We do one every month, and they only cost you one single dollar. And on top of that, That's you right. get the two free episodes. And it's me... And some in the sh- thing, and some shadow guy, the 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 guy the guy the guy was who was who said the center square in in Hollywood squares in the eighties. Shadow Stevens, well, that's in? him, right? Shadow <laughs> yeah. Stevens, me and Shadow Stevens doing a podcast, song versus song. And Lindsay gonna be on the next one. You guys are gonna be going over new. Sure, metal. if you want, if you want, yeah, if you want to date this this episode that you're doing, the next one we're, we're <laughs> going to be recording will be um, Freak on a Leash versus Nookie. Um, oh, the people got to know the, po- the podcast <laughs> where we will finally settle what's better: '90s scatting or a cookie, mm. or or just blatant blatant misogyny just just. what huh (laughs) what i think it's gonna be cookie (laughs) i think that it will be very interesting Lindsay has got a lot of very strongly held beliefs and i'm not sure that the world knows the beliefs that she has Ah, and i don't know if they're ready she's about to lose all credibility that's it she's going right out that's (laughs) it cancel for life no you can't you can't like Limp Biscuit and be on the internet at the same time. You can't. Wow, you really laid it down today. Oh no, that's it. Lindsay Ellis is over party. Get the hashtag going. Ah shit, terrible. But yeah, uh, this has been the review a new podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can support on Patreon or Kofi uh, directly, where you can give directly and you know have us request uh, where you can request stuff and we'll review it. Uh, the cue for that's really short, so get in on that. You know what I'm saying? Get get with it. Act like you want it. Uh, all those links are in the link tree if you want to support the show and all that fun, sexy stuff. And until next time, I'm DJ, the host of this podcast, and. The Camp Town ladies sing this song. Do da, do da. The Camp Town raised Jack's five loud song. Oh, do da day. We're gonna run all night. We're gonna run all day. Spend my money on Bob Jack. Somebody get on the bed.